Hello, folks. You are listening to Rewriting Our Future, a Mind Control Exodus, with me, Paul Henning. Join us on our journey as we explore and actively work to deprogram ourselves from the forces in the world that socially engineer our lives. Are the politicians, doctors, scientific experts, and news anchors telling us the truth? Is school, pop culture, social media, and television programming supporting the development of our highest consciousness, healthiest bodies, and most sovereign selves? The more we research and listen to our intuition, the more we find that this answer is a loud and resounding no. And so, we are rewriting our future to opt out of the mind control these forces tirelessly aim to manipulate and coerce us with. Welcome to the show, where we are all figuring this out together. Hey everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again today. This week I had the pleasure of sitting down again with my friend Bradley Pruitt of Tenasi Homes. Bradley came on today to talk to us about money, which is a super valuable topic that most of us, speaking for myself, don't know enough about at all. Um, he broke down a little bit about where money comes from, how the notes that we call dollars today came to be and why their value fluctuates. We talked about creative finance, we talked about some great books to read to get things going. Um, yeah, it was a really great conversation to get the flow going when it comes to understanding the big picture of money and taking a look at our own money and the possibilities that we have. Uh, thanks for being here. I think you're going to enjoy this chat. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us again for Rewriting Our Future. I'm excited to welcome the only guest I've had on twice so far, uh, Bradley Pruitt from Tenasi Homes. How are you doing, Bradley? Great, Paul. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, it's a real blessing having you on. You know, my wife and I want to do an episode coming up called Healing the Money Wound. Um, because, you know, this whole platform is just to document our journey, trying to, like, become more sovereign and independent and self-sufficient and living according to, you know, our natural rights and the natural laws and all that. And a part of that is so much to do with money. Um, and so I was grateful that you wanted to come on today to talk about money because it's like a prerequisite for us to understand some foundations about the way it works and the way that the government, the systems in place uh, use it and the way they want us to use it, the way they don't want us to use it, things like that. So that, uh, you know, so that Catherine and I and myself especially could have more understanding about what's what. Um, and so before we get into it, I'll give a little uh, background. So Bradley is the founder of Tenasi Homes, where he helps people buy and sell homes using creative finance. He's also the funding manager at Abundance Codes, where he helps people access 0% interest business loans. And he's a friend of mine who lives in Knoxville, Tennessee. We Thank The other day, I heard the guy from Abundance Codes on the Sacred Sons podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was really cool to learn a little bit more about what y'all do there. Yeah. Yeah, Jesse, uh, he's he was on the podcast with Sacred Sons, and um, that was that was a good listen for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, before I ask you about money and stuff, do you want to would you share a little bit about how you got into working with uh, creative finance and banking and mortgages and stuff and real estate in general? Sure. Yeah, man. I um, well, my mom. Um, worked for a mortgage company, you know, for a long time, over 30 years before she retired. Hmm. And so 
um, I, it, it was a household topic. So the, the terms, everything about mortgage loans, I would hear the process, um, the different roles involved with originating, you know, and I would even go as a kid um, with my mom to work and, uh, you know, she worked for the same company with the same people for her whole career. Mm-hmm. So she was like best friends with everybody. Her boss would give me odd jobs to do, you know, like sticking address um, stickers on envelopes and, you know, different things that kids have the ability to do. And so uh, he even let me put that on my resume when uh, in college I was applying to my first bank. So um, my my roommates in college um, worked for a bank as interns and uh, it was through my fraternity hmm. that, um, well, it was actually a fraternity member from long ago that started a bank. And, um, he's, he's a, a local famous guy, but, um, he, he started a bank and then, um, would hire people from the fraternity. So that's how I got that position, uh, as a teller for my first bank job. And so I put on my resume that I worked for my mom's bank, you know, and yeah. got a reference and everything. So. I was a teller for three years and um, when I graduated college, uh, I applied for a position in loan processing and was hired full time as a uh, loan processor. And I I wanted to go to graduate school and study um, biology, but (laughs) and move to the coast. you know, it's funny, we were talking about fishing. I wanted to do like marine biology and study mm, fish. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up going the um, banking career route. And uh, so when I got into loan processing, I did that for about a year. I learned all about different loans, you know, business loans, consumer loans, unsecured, which means there's no collateral, uh, which means that the bank is giving you money and they are not going to take something away from you, a physical object that they have put a lien on if you don't repay it. Um, Hmm. But they could always go after you through a judgment and other ways. Um, but then secured loans to where they would put a lien on something as collateral, such as a car, uh, farm equipment, even farm crops or farm animals, uh, real estate, uh, business equipment, uh, rent, um, which is more of a, it's not a physical object, but they can assign the the future rents that you receive to to take those if you don't pay the loan back. Hmm. Um, and so I was learning all about those sorts of things. And after about a little over a year of doing that, uh, I was offered a position as a mortgage loan officer. And 
got that position and then learned how to process mortgage loans for six months. And then I was a loan officer where I met with clients and helped them to buy a house or refinance. Um, and mortgages really, you learn all about real estate because you work, I work with uh, title companies and attorneys, appraisers, home inspectors, engineers, you know, a lot of different uh, insurance uh, companies. So a lot of different services that have to do with um, buying and selling real estate. Yeah. So um, that's, that's how I learned real estate and I learned finance. And then I was able to get some loans for myself to buy some rental properties and learned about real estate investing. Um, and, and my mom helped me out a lot. She actually sold me my first two real estate properties. Nice. Um, and so I, I learned a lot from my mom. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me and, uh, the finance and real estate. Cool. Yeah. That's uh, invaluable information. You know, I, I didn't know anything about real estate until I was like 30 years old. And then a friend of mine was like, man, you have zero down veteran loan. You could be getting into real estate with almost nothing. Um, and I had never thought about it, you know, even though I was like a grown man. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he was like, read rich dad, poor dad. It was just like straight out of the cliche. And, uh, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I was like, okay, I'm online now. And then I, uh, you know, that was several years ago, but since then I've had a couple uh, real estate deals that have proved very successful for my wife and I, um, nice. partly due to like luck, but partly due to our own like ability to pull the trigger when the time is right too. Um, and so just sure. that little bit of knowledge that was never presented to me anywhere else, like growing up in school or anything like that, uh, provided me a lot of opportunity, I think, you know, now my lens is a lot different. So I can imagine that being in the system and learning to, to bank professionally would uh, really open up your mind for possibilities. Yeah, man, that's awesome. And it's good to have luck on your side. You know, mm -hmm. credit yourself for that luck for receiving. Yeah. yeah, thank you. I I do need to and to encourage others as well. It's almost something like with part of the like a I don't know what they say. Whatever they say nowadays, sometimes in the culture, people are like, whenever we, it's hard to compliment ourselves or to take compliments or to be proud. It like uh, I've heard it put as like the tall poppy syndrome. You know, it's like I have to sometimes feel. If I've done something that I'm proud of, I got to be like smaller about it. But so I appreciate you telling me to be, to take ownership over the luck because yeah, it, uh, we were able to, to do okay. Um, just with a little bit of knowledge, but then you went and you, you don't, you didn't stay working for the bank as an employee. You, uh, went out right. on your own to create, um, opportunities for yourself through your own business. Right. That's right. Yeah. I left the bank a little over a year ago and, um, a, a lot of it had to do with timing because the interest rates were rising um, and I had gotten most of my clientele from internal referrals. I'd worked there so long, um, you know, I just was able, I was lucky myself, you know, mm -hmm. for being there and 
making relationships with everyone in the bank, also making relationships with real estate agents and others. Um, you know, my mom sent me a couple referrals when she retired, just being open to receiving referrals. And then once interest rates went up, uh, I had to make the choice to really like put my nose to the grindstone and go out and get more business, more referrals uh, in this rising interest rate environment or to make a shift into something else. Um, and that's when I decided to uh, just do real estate full time. And, uh, and now I've realized through, you know, learning so many different things about how much work it really takes to put into it um, that, you know, I needed to get another job and leverage my skills in uh, finance. And that's how I came on to abundance codes in July of this year. Hmm. And so now I work for a small company instead of a big bank, um, which we weren't even, I mean, we were kind of a big bank. We were third largest bank in headquartered in Tennessee. Um, but nonetheless, now I work for a very small company and we're a third party to the bank and the borrower. So mm. um, it, it feels much more in line with my purpose. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. And you're, you know, to be doing your own thing on the side as well, or, you know, or doing the job on the side, either way, it's nice yeah. to have, you know, you're like in the arena as it were, especially talking about, uh, you know, being more independent and sovereign, um, self-sustainable, it's important to have multiple streams of income, of course. Um, mm -hmm. And so, because most people in your situation, you know, if I could speak for most people, they would have just stayed as a, you know, an employee of the bank forever rather than going a lot out on their own. Um, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Well, before we get into maybe some of the details on money like nowadays and what you think on it and what you've learned, would you give us a little bit of a backstory about kind of like whatever you want to talk about, but like what money is and what, you know, how money in the United States works, um, mm -hmm. stuff like that, because a lot of us have little or no understanding of the way it really works and why it is the way it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of the things is uh, language and the words hmm. okay. can, be, can be very, um, you know, tricky sometimes. And uh, this whole, you know, um, you know, Orwellian idea of doublethink. It says, you know, where it's it's named one thing, but it means another. Right. So, you know, basically money was originally, and, and I still consider the term money to mean an object of value that can be traded for another object of value that is agreed upon by, you know, a buyer, seller or trader. Um, so, you know, like people use livestock as money um, and people would eventually uh, larger societies decided to have a standardized form and started using uh, ores 
like silver, gold, copper, nickel, and um, would have a, a value assigned to those based on the society's understanding and, and customs. So that's kind of where you got, got coins from. And, um, you know, the, based on the abundance of that particular, ore, you could assign a value to it. So that's where you kind of get the, the gold, silver, um, and so on hierarchy. And so, you know, as the ores became more um, prevalent in society, uh, they, you know, there's, there's so much abundance in this earth. So people are finding ores all the time and smelting them down and making coins. So the value would change. And so, um, really you would have banks come online when carrying around all this metal because the value had decreased, um, became kind of, um, cumbersome. So the banks, you could go and deposit your gold or silver or ores, and they would give you a note that said, you know, you've got, you know, however many coins on deposit, 20 gold coins. So you carry that note around. And then when you need to go buy something, you bring them that note and you trade it in for however many coins you need. And they would give you another note if you're going to continue to hold more coins there, if you didn't get all of them out. So um, eventually the banks realized, well, these notes have value. And so the notes became the um, object of trade between banks and then eventually between people. So the the customers would go to the business and just give them the note that says, hey, I've got 20 coins in the bank. Here's my note that says that. And um, that's kind of where the, the whole note system was born. And, mm -hmm. and it, it really evolved when the, the whole um, shipping industry, like the East India Trading Company, and so on. And then you had these vast empires and um, the, the big banking was really born in like the 15, 16, 1700s, you know, and then wars began to be fought over all this stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's turned into uh, a whole nother thing than it, than it was sort of born out of, but Right. People see it still from that point of view, as in like this note has a value to it. And so as we use it, um, believing it has value, then it does have value. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are today. Yeah, that makes sense. But now the 
notes are not backed by money, by true, by gold or anything. They're right. just, it's just the, the note. Um, Basically. yeah, yeah. Can you talk, can you talk a little bit about what, what that means? Like when the notes no longer had hard currency to back them. Sure. What, what that means for, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and I learned this recently, but in, I think it was 1872, um, the silver was taken out of our, um, monetary system. So, so we used to use, and, and, and I'll back up a little bit. When we first became, when I say we, the United States of America in Congress assembled, became uh, a union, then, then we didn't have a central bank. Um, and then shortly thereafter, there was a, a central bank created. And uh, then we got into a war with England because we didn't want to renew it, the War of 1812. Um, and then, you know, so we went back to having a central bank at the end of that war. So uh, you kind of tell me who won that one. Uh, and then the, um, the, that was the second, I believe, central bank of America. And then Andrew Jackson, president from Tennessee, who, you know, committed a lot of atrocities, abolished that, uh, central bank and, um, and then we didn't have really a central bank until 1913. But before that, in 1872, uh, that was called the crime of 72. And some say that the, um, the wizard of Oz is an allegory of, of this, that, oh, wow. uh, the, the silver was taken out of the, um, the, there was no more silver standard in our mm -hmm. currency. So that caused the um, farmers, you know, there was a lot of uh, deflation, you know, the opposite of inflation, and which is symbolic or uh, kind of the same thing as like a market crash. The prices of things go down. But, you know, really only the, the affluent had the gold and the, um, the people who had silver were the more of the common people. Um, and, and I don't know if you know, Will, William Jennings, Bryan, uh, he yeah. is famous for the, the scopes monkey trial, which that was when he was older, but when he was much younger, he ran for president on the idea that we should put silver back in the currency. And he hmm. got, a, he had a really famous, um, speech during that presidential race. So um, that's a good one if you want to listen to it. Cool. And it was talking about how like farmers are businessmen too. Employees are businessmen too. We're just as much a businessman as uh, so-called business owners, you know, and it's kind of like taking 
back our responsibility and our our freedom that yeah i may work for someone else but i'm working for myself too i'm working for my family i'm just as much as a businessman as anyone else hmm. or woman for that matter so um then in 1913 we've got the federal reserve along with the income tax created and there's a book creature from jekyll isle um g edward griffin if if you want to read that it kind of goes way into it um it's a long read but essentially we we establish we being the united states which by then it was the united states and um which was a whole nother thing after the civil war, our union became a country and, uh, and you can look into that too, but, um, you've got the 14th amendment where we're now us citizens. And then you have the 1913 federal reserve act, the income tax, um, was created at the same time, which was essentially created so that when the government of the United States borrowed the money from the Federal Reserve. They had to pay it back with interest. So the US government was borrowing the money from the Federal Reserve and the, the um, interest that was owed to the Federal Reserve was paid by the income tax. So the income tax is used to pay the interest owed to the Federal Reserve. I didn't know that. Then, yeah, it's supposed to be at least, or that's how it was designed, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then in um, 1933, um, the New Deal happened, and we were basically taking a step back from the gold standard. Um, then you had the Bretton Woods Agreement. And, um, then we went in, you know, things kind of went along as they were, um, lots of countries were still borrowing or using us dollars, which are federal reserve notes at this point in time. Um, they're no longer gold certificates or silver certificates or, or greenbacks. And so, uh, I, well, I guess they were still greenbacks, but, um, in 1971, we were in Vietnam and spending so much money on this Vietnam War. So all these countries that are using um, these notes, these U.S. dollars, they, they are coming back to us with their notes and saying, we want our gold coins back. You know, just like we were talking about when banks got created, they were they were wanting to come back and get their gold. But they were calling our bluff essentially we were saying we have this gold and they're saying wait i want it and then that's when um nixon said we're going off the gold currency because we don't have the gold wow hmm. yeah that's interesting it's such a simple story when you say it like that and i you know i had no idea about half of that or the reasons why i knew some of the the major points but um the the picture of it it makes a lot of sense so thanks for breaking that down um yeah. so what does that mean for what like 
what debt is now. If the money isn't backed by anything, which means mm-hmm. that they don't need anything to print more of it, it's just uh, can be created out of thin air. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about what debt means then? Yeah. So basically what it means is that all of our money with air quotes is, is debt. It's fiat currency uh, and, and better, a better term for it is um, cash value insurance banking system. Okay. And I know I've talked to you about the infinite banking concept, becoming your own banker. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it becoming your own banker, because all of these banks, including the Federal Reserve, have these life insurance policies. And then you also have the big insurance company, uh, the FDIC. So the the Federal Deposit Insurance Company, and there's also one for credit unions as well. And um, so it's a it's really insurance backed. And if you read Creature from Jekyll Isle, it's also backed by uh, oil because Mm. the companies or or I should say the countries in, um, you know, the Middle East that we do a lot of oil trading with, they have agreed to use the U.S. dollar. And so you see all these wars that have gone on between the U.S. and essentially it's the U.S. is um, strong arming these countries to continue using the U.S. dollar because when they use the U.S. dollar, then it makes it stronger and it continues to kick the can because when they borrow more money, they can pay back the interest on the loans that they had before. Because when you have fiat currency, there it's going to eventually dry up unless you keep borrowing money. And so that's why you have inflation, because more money gets printed. Somebody has to borrow that money. The the interest keeps compounding, but to keep it all going, there has to be continual payments. So even if there's um, a lesser payment, even if somebody is not really paying interest in or paying principal anymore, they're just paying interest. The uh, charade is, is able to keep on going. So Hmm. You've got, it's basically the, the currency is, is no longer really money in its original sense. It's just based on, um, you know, they say backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. Um, but it's kind of like, it's all in our heads, really. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah, it's crazy. So let's say I, I get a home loan, right? And, you know, I'm I'm currently talking to a lender right now just to, you know, to give an update because we sold our home and now we're keeping an eye out on properties, we're talking to our realtor. We got our lender there. 
um, to be ready for getting a loan on a home. Let's say we take an 80% uh, loan on the home because we do 20% down. Let's say I borrow $180,000 from a bank for a $250,000 house. I don't know if that math is right, but you get the idea. <laughs> so the bank's lending me 180 grand, let's say, for a mortgage. Where does that money come from? Or is that money not mm -hmm. in existence? Or is that really the bank's money? Or does it get created the moment I sign for it? Or how does that work? <laughs> yeah, this is one of the great mysteries of our monetary system. So, you know, growing up, what I thought was the, the bank goes back into the vault and gets the money and sends it over to the title company and the title company gives it to the seller, you know, and I then have to repay the money to the bank that right. the bank lent out. Pretty straightforward. Well, yeah. So, uh, and, and this is the, these are, these are federal reserve notes, but we'll call it money just to keep it simple. So that's the other thing that our, our currency is based off of, or I guess we kind of already said that it's like our belief that it's worth something, but it's this promise to repay. So these promissory notes, um, You've got different instruments when you sign and mortgage loans go back, go way back, you know, um, to European, you know, Roman law. Hmm. And um, so it's, it's pretty complicated. So if you we had a saying at closings uh, with the deed of trust and the promissory note, because sometimes people would want to read it and sometimes people would ask, what is it? And people should read it, you know, but it's full of legalese, which is not English. It's a completely different language. And uh, what we would say or what I learned and then I would repeat was that it simply says, if you pay, you stay. If you don't, you won't. Hmm. So if you stop paying, you're promising that the bank can take the home. Um, and that gives value right there. So then they can take that document or that package, which is the note, the deed of trust, also called a mortgage in some states, and the loan application, and they can sell that on the secondary market, which is what happens. And then it, so it gets sold goes upstream and eventually winds up as a mortgaged backed security and it's owned by a bunch of investors. Hmm. So that is another way that our, our money uh, gets value because people keep paying on the mortgages. They keep going to work and paying their mortgage and that gives value to the federal reserve notes. Hmm. Well, you know, my first home, I used a, a veteran loan and I did it through Veterans United. It was like one of the hugest lenders, I guess, for veterans. <laughs> and my first payment went to PennyMac or my mm -hmm. second payment. And I called and I said, what is this? I thought that Veterans United was my loan provider. And yeah, they were like, no, we sold it immediately to PennyMac. And I yeah. had 
I didn't know what that meant. I just, so I was just confused, you know? Um, yeah. And actually that's a, um, what I have come to learn recently is a violation of the statute of frauds, hmm. which going back to the whole idea of mortgages, the statute of fraud says that each owner of the um, interest in the loan, meaning the person that is entitled to the payments has to be um, like all the parties have to agree on it and sign it and it has to be recorded at the register of deeds. So uh, last time I checked, the nothing is recorded at the register of deeds except the original bank and me signed a deed of trust and then the seller signed a warranty deed saying that I was the owner. No other ownership uh, of the loan has been recorded and right. that's a violation. That's a violation hmm. of our rights. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting process. Um, so what does this mean for like, you know, you hear about debt discharge. And so if the, you know, cause it just keeps sounding like the money isn't real. You know, I can't explain it exactly. You're, you're doing a good job of helping me understand. But if the, if the money isn't real and the banks, you know, like when the bank gives me the money to give, when the bank gives the money to the title company to give the seller, yeah. And the seller can go buy whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, that money come, it did come from the bank. So the bank did pay it, but it's not like. What well, here's the thing, Paul, it, it's really, it's really hard to understand it because the just like it, it runs so deep, but the state, each state gives a, a bank a charter. So you know, a Tennessee headquartered bank has a charter from the state of Tennessee to be a bank. And that basically gives the bank permission to create money. So when I sign a promissory note, you know, that bank is first of all gonna be a member of the Federal Reserve, um, you know, there's there's different Federal Reserve banks throughout the country. Closest one to here is Atlanta. Hmm. So the, the the bank would be a, the member of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, and they have to be a member of the FDIC or the NCUA, which is for credit unions, to to be a member of the Federal Reserve Bank. So they can then get the money from the Federal Reserve. And we all know that the Federal Reserve just prints the money. Right. So they get authorization to print the money from our signature, basically. Mm. And, and okay. it's really never printed whenever you've got um, these banks wiring money to title companies and then title companies cutting a check. So you don't even need like money you just need right. a data entry so it's like really fast 
Yeah. Just a, it's just really comes down to computer entries from the number pad and somebody okay. getting authorization. You know, I don't know the minutia of it, mm-hmm. but they're basically just putting numbers into a computer because they got the authority from the state and the mm-hmm. Federal Reserve to do yeah. that. Yeah, that makes more sense than them going into the vault and getting it, you know. Um, yeah, it just sounds like one big scam. And so this, I guess, ties into debt discharge a little bit, because the little bit that I know is that people can separate their debt from themselves. I won't even talk about it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what this debt discharge means? Yeah, so, you know, um, and, and before we go into that, I wanted sure. to recommend a, a book. Uh, right. It's called Word Magic. The Powers oh, yeah. and Occult Definitions of Words by Pao Chang, P-A-O-C-H-A-N-G. Um, because we use this word, you know, discharge. And it's funny, what does the hospital uh, do when they say that you can leave? You're discharged. And what do they say in the military when you can leave? Yeah, you're discharged. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to me, all these words. Uh, and, and that's the, the the courts have the ability to discharge. The word discharge is like a, a legal term. Hmm. Um, the, the judges who are masters in chancery have the ability to discharge debt. And so, you know, how do you go into bankruptcy? and get the courts to discharge your debt and then mm-hmm. stop the banks from coming after you. you know, the judge just says that it's discharged. Hmm. Uh, and it's just with a stroke of a pen or bang of a gavel or whatever, you know. So um, it, you look at these definitions of words and legalese and what they mean, and you can see that banks have a lot in common with courts, and they also have a lot in common with the post office. Uh, because a postmaster is has similar um, abilities as well. The, you can go to get a postal money order um from the from the post office and that's essentially money stamps are money mm. and uh and so you can you can look at um you can look back at 1933 and there was you know essentially no more money it was all fiat currency. And then, you know, 1971, it was for sure all fiat currency because there's no more gold left. But they left a way to convert our debt based money back into what's called lawful money. So you convert it from legal tender to lawful money. And uh, I know this isn't really a debt discharge um, answer, but it's kind of where I, I was. I wanted to touch on this um, Mm -hmm. is you can convert the 
debt-based money into or legal tender into lawful money um, using your signature. So the way you sign checks, you can restrict your signature. So restricting your signature is basically by writing a couple words afterwards. So you could say, you know, sign your name and write all rights reserved is one way to restrict your signature. But one way to convert legal tender to lawful money is say you pay me with a check or the title company gives me a seller money. Well, if I deposit that in my bank account just by signing my name, it's still legal tender and I'm going to owe taxes on that. If I write redeemed in lawful money underneath it and there's a code 12 USC 411 that you can also write. Um, you've then converted that to lawful money. You can give it to a tax accountant who knows what they're doing and say, well, they redeem all their money as lawful money and lawful money is not subject to income tax. Hmm. So, you know, that's, that's just one little way to, um, to get around paying thing, paying debts, uh, which taxes right. are different. Debt discharge is is a different animal, especially when it comes to mortgages. Um, there's there's a lot of different topics, and I'm still learning about that. And I don't have a lot of uh, concrete experience of successfully yeah. doing it myself. That's all right. So, um, but I, I love the subject and I, mm -hmm. I could talk about it, um, forever, but a lot of it has to do with our credit report mm. because our credit report is, um, you know, the legal definition is that they are collecting a debt. It's a way that, um, creditors collect a debt from debtors, but they are violating your equitable rights uh, to privacy because you don't want all of that information out there, especially if it's negative, going to other lenders and they're making their decision to lend to you based off of that. Right. So and then, and it's so like, you know, even when you pay all everything on time, if you run up your credit cards too high and you're still paying it on time, they're going to ding you for it. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, well, it's not even based on on-time payments, you know, so it, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of ridiculous, but see, I was going somewhere with that. Um, so basically, oh, equitable rights. People talk about know your rights, you know, and, and there's a, there's a good account on Instagram to follow, uh, at Amir law a m y r underscore law l a w and amir really explains equity so you think of equity as like that's what i paid my down payment on my mortgage you know so i've got mm -hmm. 20 percent equity the bank's right. got 80 percent. so that's kind of that's kind of right you know so equity is like what you truly have or your constitutional rights. And, and he, he does a good job of explaining equity and equity is kind of like operating on the private side. Hmm. So keeping everything private, 
and and uh, securing your God-given rights instead of like leaving it up to some authority to say that you have these rights or not. So, yeah. I know that was a long-winded answer in a roundabout way. But. No, it's cool. It's good to know that there's um, there's avenues to approach and resources to go to to find uh, some of the ways to further investigate because it's not it's obviously not as simple um, as they try to make it out to be. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you know the the thing about the word magic. I'm sure this book maybe touches more on this, but just the all you know you bring up the the discharge. Like when I was in Wild and Fire, you know, you would charge a fire hose and there's a million water analogies of course right it's like the current sea and yeah. the flow and you know um there's a bunch more but there's so many uh water analogies with the yeah i love fire. where you're going with this yeah i don't remember I'm, I'm blanking on more of them um well you've got uh you were a naval officer right not an officer i was enlisted or but i was in the navy yeah you're, you're a naval uh, enlisted yeah. person. So, yeah. And I love that because, you know, and my, my grandpa was, was in the Army and he was also a Marine. So he was in the hmm. Army and the Navy. But uh, I love that you were in the Navy because you, you probably know a million different water terms <laughs> that you can uh, also tie in with. Yeah. With, I mean, you think about, but think about the word naval. Hmm. Uh, that's another word for belly button. Right. And that uh, they, they use a lot of terms hmm. of birth. Uh, birth is also a, a term, you know, right. When of course into the dock. Yeah. And oh. the birthing, that's where you sleep on the ship is in the birthing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, mm -hmm. all these terms better than I do. Uh, yeah. bank is a term yeah exactly it's yeah that's crazy that they uh i don't know if that's just part of the spells of the thing well here's um, here i think about this paul because what's happening is um right now you know we think about in terms of astrology the age that we were in, uh, the age of Pisces, you know, and that we're coming into this age of Aquarius and, and the, there's elements that are assigned to these, um, these zodiacs, if you will. And, you know, Pisces is a water sign. So you can look at money and all these water analogies to it. Um, and and I even like the the seal of ten the state of Tennessee is agriculture and commerce and commerce has a boat on the water hmm. and uh, it's because mer m e r which is in the middle of that word is you know sea um, basically yeah and and so you can see that word everywhere mer hmm. uh, so when we're thinking about water and um, what that element means, it has a lot to do with, uh, to me, and what I've been associating with, it has a lot to do with feelings, you know, like um, our, our 
um, root, our root chakra Mm. and our, um, let's see, is it, so we've got the sacral chakra and the root chakra, but anyways, one of them is our, our basically our sexual chakra, right? Whichever one that is. Uh, and, and plexus is a better word cause that's more Latin based. Um, but that has to do with, with feeling and sensuality. And then you've also got like the heart plexus mm-hmm. and, and move mm-hmm. the blood. So that those things have a lot to do with feeling and, and emotion and money has uh, a lot of, uh, it I feel like it has a hold on our emotions for sure as a society. Yeah. So where I'm going with this is we need to, as we move into this new age of Aquarius, whenever that is, I don't know when it's supposed to be now or later, but we're definitely moving in that direction. That's an air sign, mm-hmm. but it's also, it's kind of a, uh, it's kind of a paradox because it's, it's a, there's water being poured out of the pitcher and, and ancient civilization said that that was that water that's being poured out of the pitcher is like the, the thing that all of the zodiacs kind of reside in is that water. Hmm. So it's a, it's a very powerful hmm. sign, but it's an air sign, which represents the atmosphere and the mind. Um, and you can't really separate the elements from each other because they're all there. And, right. you know, water, fire, air, earth, spirit. So I think what we need to do is realize that it's not, we, we shouldn't be so unbalanced of emotion, emotion, emotion. We should bring it back into ratio with the other elements such as air and the mind and realize that it's, it's a, it's an object of the mind and, uh, that balancing out of the ratios where we can step away and say, I'm not going to be so emotionally involved with this thing. That's just a, a creation of our minds co- collectively. Right. So I can make more grounded decisions, even though it doesn't sound like it would be more grounded when you're going up in the air, but we're just bringing things back into alignment and Mm -hmm. more, more balanced and kind of stepping back and looking at it as a whole and saying, it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not attached to it emotionally anymore as much as I was. Right. Yeah, I appreciate that because money does take uh, a grip. I mean, for many people, for most people, dare I say that the uh, money determines every single aspect of their life, right? What, like whether you, people have a lot of it or, or not a lot of it, money is emotion is what determines their emotional state for the day. How flexible is my day? Where do I go for my day? Do I have to go to work? Do I hate my work? Can I buy something? Does my family need something that I can or cannot afford? Do I want to buy a motorcycle, a sailboat, an investment, anything? Um, It does determine everything, you know, and it's true. Like in the tarot, the, the cups represent the emotional aspect because the cups can carry liquid, can carry water. And with, without a balanced 
um, reading, you know, or without your balanced spirit, you, you would definitely be lopsided. Um, and you're right. So, you know, it's overwhelming to think about all the different aspects that money, it means for us in this day where it's been so highly manipulated um, in order to like basically take advantage of us. Um, and so to bring some levity to it and to be like, yeah, it's a complicated system if you really want to, to wrangle it, but it's important to remember that it, it, uh, it's, it's a tool and it doesn't have to be like everything. Like you're saying, we can, uh, take a more objective view. Um, yeah. Trying to take it so seriously. Yeah. What, uh, will you talk a little bit about what creative finance means? I hear that sometimes, but I don't, yeah, I don't really understand. It's anything that you want it to be. Okay. You know, we, we all, it's at first I was like that too, you know, and that, oh, creative finance is these certain things. And just recently I've been like, well, creative finance, whatever I want it to be, it's whatever yeah. I create. That's mm -hmm. literally in the word. That's why I love the, the term. Uh, and people ask me all the time, what is it? You know, and I, I could say, well, it's, uh, you know, lease purchase or it, it's it's anything that's not traditional finance. Well, traditional finance could be creative finance. Mm -hmm. When I was a loan officer, I got creative all the time. You know, I would people would come in and they told me what they needed to do. And I had to create a plan. Now, sometimes it would be much easier and it would just be the normal run of the mill vanilla ice cream plan, mm -hmm. but you still got to go out and execute it. And that is yeah. creating. So yeah. it's just like, say you, you know, you can be creative when you go out and get a mortgage loan, but generally creative financing is considered uh, something other than going out and getting a mortgage loan in the typical sense. So if you want to buy or sell a property, a real real estate property, you could um, either take over somebody's lease. You could do a sublease. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do, if their lease allows subleasing, um, I could, I could lease a property, uh, and live there. Um, and I could, cause you know, a lot of, a lot of landlords don't, um, do credit checks or they'll be more relational. They don't have these rules that banks do. So it's kind of a way to go around a bank. Yeah. I could buy a property and the seller could finance it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, that I could buy a property and keep the seller's loan in place. Hmm. And that's called subject to, and uh, I basically take over their mortgage payments. Hmm. Um, or you could sell a property. I, I could have a property with a mortgage on it and I could sell it to someone. And if I pick the right title company that knows what they're doing, they won't require the um, a big check to go pay off the bank. The loan will stay in place. You do these certain things to make sure that the bank doesn't call the note due and you keep paying the bank. 
and, and you could rent out the property or do whatever you want with it, but you're able to sell it. There's also like my wife's aunt uh, was beque- bequeathed a property in her dad's will, um, but it said that she couldn't sell it for X number of years. Um, well, actually, there's a law that says that period of time can only be a maximum of 21 years. But uh, if she really wanted to sell it, she could do a lease purchase agreement or a lease option agreement that lasts 21 years. Hmm. And that way she's able to get generate some income from it. Right. And go use that income and buy another property and have another place to live. Yeah. And, and you're not stuck to the situation. So you're, mm-hmm. you're basically finding a creative means to um, do what you want to do to yeah, like let your willpower flow. Right. I appreciate it. It's like, a, yeah, it's more of treating the money as a creative project as like more like an art project or an act of play. Because I, I, you know, even someone who's done a couple of real estate deals myself, I just typically wouldn't consider anything outside of the basic thing when you call the lender and they say you need a there's two types of loans you can get and you know blah 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 and that's it you know it's like this very very narrow window of possibility um, yeah but you're right it's it's a there's a whole realm out there where you can create new ways or use combinations of ways that uh, are like low-key uh, but there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity yeah so it sounds like you're saying it's a Creative finance is a way to really spread your wings and be able to yeah. to take advantage of opportunities that aren't in plain sight, which is yeah, awesome. They're low key. They're low key and they're powerful at the same yeah. time because mm-hmm. it's person to person. It's relational. Mm-hmm. It's a private contract. Mm. Um, yeah, you know that that those sort of things are are powerful, but mm-hmm. it's it's low key at the same time. So it, it's it's exercising our free will yeah yeah hmm. yeah that's awesome we'll have to talk more about it in the future offline because i uh yeah there's a chapter coming up where i'd be a lot uh, more interested in exploring some of these options because uh, i feel yeah. like there's always there's always a time for opportunity you know like you get on some of the the popular people on instagram the real estate influencers or whatever and it seems like people want to be like well now's a good time or now's a bad time it's like so people so a lot of times you see so many things that are so black and white but i i just refuse to believe that you know i um there's always yeah. opportunity no matter what's happening you just need to be yeah. creative yeah negativity is the poster child for opportunity Mm-hmm. You know, it, negativity hmm. represents potential energy, right? You know, yeah. you want you you gotta you gotta get rid of something mm-hmm. old to make space for the new, and that space yeah. may be that negative energy, but it's gonna pull in that new thing that you want. Yeah, like wanna, a, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead. Like what? What were you gonna say? I was gonna say, well, I've been. Yeah, like a vacuum, like the more negative, yeah. the more pervasive. Right? And I've been wanting to use the, uh, he was saying so many, because being 
being on the verge of getting into more real estate here in the next few months, seeing all this like negative, negative, this interest rates, blah, 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 all time price highs. I just think every time I see a negative comment or something that goes against what the plan, the path that I'm on, I just want to be like, this is exactly what I need because it's creating the space for me to fill their negative. So I've been able to turn it to where any negative feedback from the path I want to be on is just like fuel now. Um, mm. And so I've been able to invert that energy because I just don't have the, the stomach for, for doomer vibes yeah yeah we can we have the power to flip the script you know Mm -hmm. and in that word magic book he talks about uh the the forces of magnetism and electricity Mm. you know the opposing forces but you they're also one in the same electromagnetism and um it's Mm. it's really interesting but i wanted to speak to um another thing about creative finance, which is uh, business credit. Okay. And when you have good personal credit, a good credit score, uh, one can go and get a business loan or business credit card for, uh, you know, 0% interest rate for however many months and access thousands of dollars. And that, loan is not reported to the personal credit report. And that's really powerful because like I was saying earlier, if you have a personal credit card, even if even if you have online on time payments, you can run that card up to the maximum and tank your credit score. Yep. Well, with a business credit card, you can run it up to the max, but as long as you're making payments on it and you're not in default, that's not going to touch your personal credit score. Mm-hmm. So that's a really powerful tool yeah. to use for investments, creative finance. And then the last thing I'll say is uh, the infinite banking is also a really good tool on the tool belt for creative finance because you can just put your money in there and take it right back out and it's earning compound interest and you're still able to use it. So I definitely recommend um, R. Nelson Nash um becoming your own banker as well so yeah cool we'll make sure to put all these books in the show notes um so we can do more research and if people want to to talk more about the uh well the creative finance for the you know for real estate or the the business loans um we can put the uh the notes as well for how to connect with you through abundance code or through tanasi um i did before we go i I have one more question for you so you know I'm in like some prepper type groups and some influence like homesteader and stuff like that. And, and some people hate debt, like Bradley, some people think that debt is evil and that if you're in debt, you're a fool. Um, but you know, your perspective is that debt is a tool and, and debt is, is, well, I won't tell you what your perspective is, but what do you think about that idea? Uh, debt sounds a lot like death. And people are afraid of death, too. Um, you know, and it's uh, it, it's a scary thing. You know, it's it's like that. It's like that part of our it's like that shadowy part of ourselves that, you know, we don't want to look at. We want to sweep it under the rug and we don't want to look under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it, it's. At this point, debt is virtually unavoidable. 
um, because it it's just it's just a part of life. I mean, the way our money is set up, but also like if you you know we didn't really touch on trust, mm. but if the word trust meaning I trust you in God, we trust or like trust wills and estates. They all kind of mean the same thing. Like there's an agreement made, whether it's implied or it's expressed through a document. Uh, when someone says they'll do something in, in exchange of another thing, um, the thing that is given at the time is usually called payment. And then the, the, the thing that comes later, you know, would either be the services or the product, but essentially that's a debt mm -hmm. to be repaid. Something that you owe that person that was mm -hmm. agreed upon, unless the contract is nullified or, you know, um, canceled or whatever it may be, that's essentially a debt. So, you know, it's, in, in the in the sense of Dave Ramsey scared of debt or not wanting to have a loan because you want to pay cash for everything I can see where they're coming from you know it's it's a way to that that idea is a way to get someone out of a deep deep hole or a situation where they don't know, what else to do to um, get back on the right track as far as getting their credit score up yeah. or uh, getting their car back that's re been repossessed or stopping a foreclosure. If you don't know anything else to do, you know, Dave Ramsey's got a lot of tools to get you back on track mm -hmm. to where uh, there's a, a level playing field. And then you start to learn, you, you can graduate to, Robert Kiyosaki and mm -hmm. that guy goes out there, but you can really turn debt or a liability into an asset by having a, um, uh, income generating property, whatever it may be. Uh, but, but essentially life is a risk, you know, when we yeah. wake up and get out of bed and, you know, we take a breath or we eat something, we're, we're risking death every day, but that's, we, we, we eventually will pay for life, you know, by mm -hmm. dying that we'll pay that debt by dying. And then we'll go on to the next life, whatever that entails. Yeah. I appreciate this perspective because some of the people we listen to, they're like, you you know, buy your homestead in cash and buy, you know, just make sure everything because then you don't have nobody has got you like over the barrel or whatever. But right. The government always does. They can still they can still do everything. And I, I, I like the perspective you're offering because I prefer to to pursue a, a life with more possibilities, you know, and until I'm just like flush yeah. with cash, my possibilities include taking advantage of other people's lending, you know, to do it wisely. And, you know, the funny thing you bring up Dave Ramsey, because Dave Ramsey is so major these days. I mean, he's just gone even bigger in the last year, I swear, than ever before. He's everywhere. Um, 
So the fact that he's so mainstream and he's trying to get everybody out of debt in his own way, that just, uh, there's just something there I inherently distrust. I'm like, if Dave Ramsey <laughs> is on everybody's radar, trying to get us to pay off our debt bit by bit and to be good little payments, you know, then it just makes me want to go out and make my life so abundant through debt because it's the opposite of what's being told to the masses, you know? Um, yeah. It's just like, whatever they say, go the opposite direction type thing. Yeah, there's you can have best of both worlds, though. And you brought up something good there with not wanting them to have you over the barrel. So the cool thing about owning real estate is and, and having equity and, and when the market goes up and everybody's moving to where you live because you live in the greatest place on Earth and the values start going up then you can sell your home and make a lot of cash and then use that cash and buy a property and not ever worry about the bank coming and getting you. Uh, or you can keep your property and rent it out and take a loan out against the equity and buy a property in cash. And I think that's a great idea. That's what me and my wife did, you know, and uh, the property that we live in has no uh, liens on it. But the thing is like, do we really own our property because we still pay taxes to the exactly. government? Exactly. So essentially, every property still has a lien on it from the government. If you don't pay yep. your taxes, they could take it from you. Right. Or they could imminent domain it if they want to come in and build a road. But there are ways, you know, there's something called elodial title, um, now known as a land patent, mm. uh, where you can get your title uh, you can show a chain of title all the way back to a sovereign, um, like maybe a, the Cherokee nation or something like that, or, hmm. uh, somebody of, of nobility and, and you can tie your, your name to that and, and get an elodial title. So that's something to look into as well. Um, yeah. and there's also trust, um, instruments that you can use as well. So. Cool. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good to know, to think about. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on, Bradley, of course, and for you know helping yeah. me and those listening uh, understand that there's a lot more opportunities out there and there are way, more ways to look at what's going on than we think. Um, and that we don't have to play by their rules all the time or you know the ways that we are presented. We can go outside of that. And, uh, yeah. Great. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, I always learn something from you as well. Um, and I, I look at life as, you know, I want to I want to keep learning. I want to witness uh, people for who they are and, um, you know, witness authenticity in people. And I see that in you and I appreciate your um, platform here and all your listeners. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, it's been a pleasure. We uh yeah, I can't wait to have you on again. I've already thought, man, you know, we'll just say here real quick is that uh, you invited me to go to a Sacred Sons event. And so I bought the ticket. And so I'll be going to that event in Florida next month. And so maybe after all that's over, we can come back on and talk about uh, what that kind of event and what that men's work and what that community is all about. For sure. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm definitely going to be joining you and nice. uh, really looking forward to it. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, man. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your week and thanks for coming on. I guess I'll see you next month in Florida. Sounds great, Paul. Talk to Bye. you soon.
Peace. All right. Well, that's it for today, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to support the show, you can make a donation on PayPal. You can find me at Mr. Paul Bry at M-R-P-A-U-L-B-R-I. Or feel free to pick up a copy of my book uh, recently on Amazon called International Backpacking and Domestic Travel, What I Learned While Traveling the World, a Comprehensive How-To Guidebook. You'll find that link below in the show notes. Take care, thanks again, and grow food, not fear.